Blog Talk Radio. Presidente, and I am on loan from God for the next two hours to guide you through this crazy world of sports. And there's no one better equipped to do that than myself and the balanced team. I tell you what, we talk about it all year long. We can't wait for it to get here. And then we, we put so much energy into it, and then it just goes away. The Indianapolis 500 was a fantastic race. In a lot of ways, one for the for the record books and stand by in the balanced green room is Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, but is also our official IndyCar contributor, and uh, certainly we'll get into his how that affects his gridatology. But what a great race it was! Obviously, Simon Patijon uh, went to win it, and hence the title of our show. Simon says the month of May got won the GP. But we're back to normal. We're back to normal programming. We're back to the normal show. So also coming up is uh, Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest. Going to be talking to NASCAR down in Charlotte. Also, uh, they're in the Pocono Mountains this weekend. So we'll see what's going on there. Not to forget, hey, by the way, can I brag on my St. Louis Blues? Yeah! St. Louis Blues in the... In the in the uh, in Stanley Cup NHL Finals, also NBA Finals. Boy, there's a good, there's no drama without Curry, right? And I'm not talking about the awesome Indian ditch, dish, uh, but uh, so we'll get into that as well. Kit Sterling from KitSterling.com is going to join us, and we're going to talk about his Cubs. We're going to be talking about the Stanley Cup. We're going to be talking about the Pacers. We're going to be talking about the NBA Finals, and then we're going to Actually, uh, so last week, uh, Tony Donahue from 1070, the fan, was supposed to join us. We had some phone issues, and he was gracious enough to rain check to today, so he will be on, I promise you. I talked with him last night. We got everything working. All the phone lines are working. There'll be no issues. Tony Donahue coming up at the at the last segment of the show. My name is Tom Mark with self President Tay. Don't go anywhere, 91789. Do I even know the number? 91789-8516. digits. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network.
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Standing by right here with us now is Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, it was so – we talk about it, we talk about it, we talk about it. The thrill, the agony. There was so much fun in the month of May. We can't even begin to, to go through it all. But, well, let's try. Simon Patajon, it was a game, as Simon says – and what a race it was. We talked last week. We thought, well, the weather was going to be an issue. 
come on. Now, as I told you, they're at the track, standing by there at the at the red carpet. This the sun was there. We got the whole race in. We thought we might have a rain delay. I mean, God truly is an IndyCar fan, Matthew. Well, thank God we did get it in because obviously with all the tornado warnings in Indianapolis area, and obviously we're thinking about all of our mates, unfortunately, that uh, took a big chunk out of it uh, the last couple of days. But, uh, yeah, we got it in, certainly, and uh, give Pagano credit. He dominated the race. And, uh, yeah, I knew early on, I thought, well, Ed Carpenter's going to get the lead on him early. It never happened. I knew at that point you could write, probably play stick and Ed's chances. And uh, Newgarden... Just, uh, I don't know if they made a change late in the car, faded, whatever the case was. But uh, beyond that, uh, I got to say, I feel bad for Rossi. And uh, I really, uh, I got to say, uh, lost uh, a lot of respect for Oriel Servi. I mean, he's a lap down. He's the oldest star in the field, probably the smartest man. He's yet he's chopping off uh, Rossi on multiple laps. Uh, so if there's a guy that I think I've lost a lot of respect for in the you know, the day since that race, uh, unfortunately, Oriel Servia's name is uh, high on that list for what he did to Rossi. And, uh, you know, you be the judge on uh, what happened at the end of the race, whether Pagano was blocking or not. There should have been a penalty. Um, I mean, it's a uh, mute point now, but uh got to say, I'm sure uh, it's going to be uh, very determined Alexander Rossi because I think uh, he has a uh, right to feel like he got wrong just a little bit uh, throughout the day uh, this past Sunday. Well, we'll definitely get into Alexander Rossi here in, in, in a few minutes because he's having a better weekend. <laughs> there's there, there's hope in the, in, in the future for Rossi. And I tell you what, what a great competitor Alexander Rossi was. And you know what? It's the Indianapolis 500. And we could say what we want about Oreo. We could say what we want. We, well, there's all kinds of things that we can go back to. But here's the thing. Team, Team Penske knows how to win in Indianapolis. Here, you know, my ears were glued to the, to the scanner of the radio of a lot of teams, but certainly Simon was one of my, my key things, and I knew that they were going low on fuel, and I was talking to some other people there at the track, and, I, of course, everybody knows that I, I watch the race from turn four as a fan uh, because part of what we do is we talk about what it's like to be a fan. I mean, the media center is great and all, don't get me wrong, but I like to hang out with the fans. I like to – of course, I don't get as crazy as some of the fans out there at turn four, but, but nonetheless – I was just like, you know, uh, uh, Simon Pagan's having some fuel issues. That wreck at, at where they stopped it, I think we had 25 laps left somewhere around there. That wreck really helped Simon Pagan, but he was he was struggling a lot in fuel mileage, so he backed behind uh, Joseph Newgarden and basically worked as the team there, and he allowed jo- Joseph Newgarden. I mean, Joseph Newgarden was ahead of him. And, and then kind of uh, dragged him around or pulled him around if, if we want to get into the technical aspects of it. But he basically used Joseph Newgarden's car for about 30-ish laps, 20-ish laps to regain the, the fuel mileage that they needed to finish the race. And it came down to – it was an exciting finish. And I, I tell you what, every time Alexander Rossi's there at the end, it's exciting, and it was an exciting finish. And, and let's face it, if the roles were reversed, would Alexander Rossi block uh, Simon Patajan? Absolutely. Would Joseph – would anybody block anybody coming down that stretch? Absolutely. So I don't, I don't, I don't blame Simon Patajan for racing. That's what happened. 
I'll give you your, your, your things on, on Oreo, but I mean, he's, he's tried so much since he, and this very well might be his last 500. We don't know, but he's not been able to make the ride. So he's trying to prove himself. So he was out there trying to do that. So uh, other takeaways for the month of April, before we move on to Detroit, man, just forget about Indianapolis that quick, Matthew, go ahead. Uh, I think right now the question is, how's Carla going to recover? I mean, they had an absolutely horrendous month, and not only did they fail to get uh, Alonzo in, I mean, there's a lot of big – I don't know if you saw the uh, article that I, – I don't know if it was Jim Ayala or Robert Miller did, and uh, Trevor Carlin uh, really uh, laid it out on uh, McLaren's Zach Brown uh, because I think there was, I guess, a thing going that Brown said that Carlin didn't give him the support they needed and vice versa, and then – said, well, Brown didn't ask for it, and uh, I don't think that's going to be a relationship. Even if McClary comes back, I think they're going to be looking for a new partner, and it's not to say that Carlin's a bad team. I just think Carlin uh, overextended themselves uh, this past month, and they paid the price for it. And, you know, that could happen uh, at Indy. Sometimes you get overexcited and overexuberant, and you just – over-focus on things instead of just getting the job done, and I think that's what cost them, and that's why Pato Award, Max Chilton, and Alonzo failed to get in the show, and unfortunately, um, I think it's clear they could have been a factor on race day because Kimball was up there until he got taken out in the accident that uh, claimed uh, Ray Hall and Bourdais, and uh, I'll be very curious also to see how uh, Ray Hall and Bourdais uh, react uh, coming to Detroit there and uh, close conversation uh, either today or tomorrow because uh, I have to say, uh, when you force someone into the grass like that, I mean, he could have easily hooked. I mean, we could have been talking another Robert Wickens type accident if that had gone mm-hmm. any worse than uh, what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, I, I think you look at that case, I think Graham Ray Hollywood, though, yeah, he's one of the more outspoken drivers on the circuit. I think he had a reason to be more than just a little bit disgusted with Bordet because you just don't push someone into the grass, especially there at a quarter like that. That's just asking for trouble. No, you're absolutely right. There's so many storylines that we could get into with the Indianapolis 500, but I do want to get to Detroit. Before we move on, I mean, we've got to be somewhat impressed. I mean, I know it's only a one-car race. I, I certainly it's way too early to be having these conversations, but do you think Peppa Mann made a good audition at the Indianapolis 500? I think so. She did, yes, and Foster Marshall did. What they did is they just kept their nose clean and they went about their business. They knew what they had to do, and they executed to the max and got it done, unlike some of these other teams that were here, there, and everywhere, and their mind was, I guess, off on maybe Jupiter or something. They did the job. They did not listen to us saying, well, they don't have much of a shot to get in the show. And they executed perfectly. So I'd uh, be very curious to see how this extends to next year, if they take a more aggressive t- turn on it. Uh, you know that uh, Tom Clawson wants to be back. You know Pippa Mann wants to be back. Um, 16th is a good result, but uh, I'm sure that's going to motivate me more, maybe to unloosen the wheel just a little bit and uh, maybe get a little more aggressive coming to 2020. But uh, certainly a great uh, debut for them, uh, getting their program going and uh, – Looking down the road, uh, I don't think they're going to be, you know, a full-time regular anytime soon, but uh, a good performance for them. And I'd say also a good performance for Dragon Speed, uh, another team that a lot of us didn't think mm-hmm. was going to make the field. They also uh, got in 
again, at the expense of Carlin, but uh, I think they've also shown an interesting thing in the future so much so it looks like they are really scaling back their sports car program so that they can uh, solely focus on IndyCar, whether that means uh, they look for, you know, maybe expansion, like a two-car team bringing a more talented driver or more experienced driver opposed to Ben Hanley. I don't know, but uh, I think it says uh, something that they're also uh, committed in for the long haul of uh, the IndyCar series, uh, at least in the next several years. Colton Herta, is it too early to crown him Rookie of the Year 2019? He got a raw deal. Uh, I, I, I think I don't think anybody can say that they were not heartbroken that he had the problem early because I think he could have been a major factor in this race. And sadly, you know, a mechanical failure on lap three take it, took it away from him. So uh, I think that's uh, probably the big heartbreak story. Uh, if there's anyone that really got a raw deal at the early part of the race, uh, Colton Hurd's name obviously is high on the list, certainly. I thought he was going to be a major factor throughout the day, and unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to do that. I really enjoy him, and I'm going to enjoy watching him full time. We're going to get uh, we're talking to Matthew Embry from uh, WSVAT up in South Pit. Matthew, you mentioned uh, Robin Miller, uh, reminding me of uh, an article that I wrote over on Speedway Digest as well about it. But Robin Miller, uh, recipient of the first annual uh, award, his own honor, uh, Robin Miller. Award, which is to be awarded by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to journalists who go up and above and have a basically a, a lifetime achievement award, not necessarily limited to um, journalists, but that's the that's the focus point. And you know, I have known Robin for so many years, and there's nobody more down to earth and more deserving than in his own name. But I think what else. I know you weren't up there in the media center with me when this happened, but this was on Friday morning of Carb Day, and they and, and Robin didn't even know what was happening. Nobody, they didn't announce it. There was this was just a total surprise. But we saw Bobby Enser, Johnny Rutherford, uh, AJ Foyt, and um, Mario Andretti come into the media center. We thought, well, okay, he's going to be a, a, a press conference of the old timers. And and then Mark Miles got up and said, like, you know, here's what we're doing, and we're going to give this award to to uh robin miller i tell you what it gave me goosebumps to watch those guys talk about robin miller i mean how awesome if you're going to have some people talk about how awesome you are how how about those guys telling you about how awesome and robin made a very good point there was a lot of funny things that were said it was it was you know kind of like a roasting in a lot of ways but Robin said one thing, look around here, and he, and he pointed to every one of those. When these guys are gone, they're gone. The old-timers are gone. Robin Miller is part of that club. He's been around for so long. A lot of people don't know this. He raced a USAC. He was also an Indy uh, uh, car team member. Robin Miller has had as much of a contribution to IndyCar like A.J. Foyt, Mario Andretti, Johnny Rutherford, and Bobby Unser. What are your thoughts about Robin Miller? As you know, I'm not exactly on uh, even keel with Robin Miller, but I certainly respect him as a media member. Uh, certainly has uh, his own say on certain things. Now, granted, uh, like I said, uh, I don't necessarily agree with him or my colleague, uh, David Lamb, but a uh, uh, decent job uh, with covering the event for several years. Uh, obviously, he was on the cart side and uh, agree to disagree, but uh, you got to respect him for uh, what he's done for the sport, certainly as far as a media member. 
Right, and, and and absolutely, that's my point. I mean, we can we can point to a lot of media people that we don't like their opinions, or we don't like or necessarily agree with what they say. But when you have somebody that can put that much passion of their life, that much life into to the sport, yeah, hats off. All right, Detroit, here we are. The Bills of of uh, of uh, of. Uh, all right, I'll get it straight. Detroit Bell Isle, uh, but. Uh, we're talking about Alexander Rossi. Alexander Rossi has got, is pointed in the right direction. Let's talk about Detroit. Talk with us about the, the duels. Talk with us about the course. This is a street course, different than a road course, different than an oval course. Talk with us about the course up in Detroit. Well, you know Detroit. It's a rough circuit. Uh, you got the manhole coverage there, and then obviously the undulation. You got the bridge to run over. That causes a lot of bumps. I mean, it is a physically demanding circuit, and it'll take uh, its toll on these drivers after two races uh, coming up today and tomorrow. So uh, uh, I tell you what, uh, this is an event that uh, you feel the pain uh, the, several days afterwards. So uh, obviously I think the drivers that, that, that are the longevity and can take the beating, I think are going to do real well. Obviously all Jada Rossi, you know, the New Gardens, the Dixons, the Powers, I think are going to be very competitive this weekend. And, uh, of course, don't forget Graham Rahal swept both races a couple of years ago, so I would assume his name's up there. And uh, he has to see what Ryan Hunter Ray does. I think this has not necessarily been one of his favorite tracks, but he practiced well uh, this morning, uh, as did Spencer Piggott and James Hinchcliffe. So uh, looking to qualifying here in about uh, 20 minutes from now, uh, be very curious to see how the field lines up. It'll be very curious to see how Simon Pagelow does, as he was only 10th overall in the time charts, uh, looking ahead to qualifications uh, coming up here in a few minutes. Well, I'll tell you what. Will Power, you got Will Power, uh, Graham Rahal, uh, all former uh, Detroit winners, uh, doing well in practice. And, and Will Power had one of the best uh, laps yesterday at 190. Yeah, it feels weird. It feels like we're really slowing down, like we're only going to interstate speed. We're only going 109 miles an hour compared to last week at 220 miles an hour. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we got the duels. So talk with us about today's race, 1 o'clock coming up, NBC Sports uh, Network. You can catch it up there in Detroit. What's what's in store? Uh, walk us through the through the grid. Walk us through what we think is going to happen in qualifying. Walk us through Detroit GP. Uh, 3 p.m. is the actual start time of it, and it is on NBC today and tomorrow, not NBC SN. We'll oh, that, sorry. Uh, Thanks for that correction. First. Appreciate that. Thank so you. it is on national television, so everyone can watch it. Uh, should be a very interesting race. Uh, obviously, grid position, I think, is going to mean a lot unless you can go off sequence and maybe get a yellow to help you to flip things around. So I think the qualification, getting the Firestone Fast 6, I think it's going to be paramount today and tomorrow if you're going to have a good result. And uh, then we'll see what happens. But I'd say, uh, like you said, if Will Power is right up there at the start, uh, he could be very tough to beat because this is obviously his bread and butter. And you know he wants to bounce back from, uh, obviously, uh, a race to forget for him, even though the result was another top 10, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that he was a factor uh, for the victory at any point uh, after that penalty he suffered early in the race uh, last weekend. So a lot of people don't understand the differences between a road course, a street course, and an oval. This is a street course. It's very obvious by the names of what they are, and that is that a street course is actual streets that are in a city uh, or, or what have you. 
that they've blocked off and created a track for. Uh, so Detroit, as you mentioned, kind of rough. And and I know Penske sunk a lot of money in there. Roger Penske sunk a lot of money into that, that track and into that race. But it certainly is a true street course uh, race. Uh, talk with us about the obstacles. I and mean, if you're a if you're a crew chief and you're getting ready for the uh, Detroit GP today, how are you? How is your strategy changing uh, for the Detroit GP Street Course as opposed to, for example, last week with the Indianapolis 500 Oval? Obviously, qualifying is going to be paramount. Obviously, that the uh, road course wing package with a lot more downforce to help you get through these tighter corners. But, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a physically demanding circuit. I remember the old downtown circuit they ran until 91, uh, between 89 and 91, and it was physically demanding. I remember Alex Jr. broke down two laps in, and yet even after that, uh, you could see him on the Indicar camera, and he is going, <gasps> I mean, it is a physically demanding layout, and I think Bell Isle is the same way. I mean, it is it will burn you out uh, a lot more. There's not as many places where you could, you know, take it easy a little bit like you can on these ovals, like at Indy, Indy, Texas, or Pocono, and, you know, loosen things up a little bit. You can't do that here. I mean, it's full action all the way around, and doing that for – the entire distance, uh, that certainly could take a lot out of you. And uh, like I said, you will feel it uh, days after this event is over with, especially not just one, but two races that to deal with uh, this weekend. Matthew Emery, WSVT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, uh, you got your great etiology. Talk with us about how last week's race affected uh, going into this week's race with the great etiology and where can people find the world-famous Matthew Emery's great etiology. Well, I'm already looking at the 2020, and right now, uh, obviously, uh, Pagano's name is going to be up there. I think the Penske name is going to be up there. Be very curious to see, like I said, with the new windscreen, uh, how that affects aerodynamics and what teams, you know, are able to maybe get some loopholes on that, maybe to get a little more speed out of the car, like uh, what uh, Penske did several years ago when they, you know, tweaked with the uh, side mirrors on the cars to get a little more pace out of their cars in 2006, 2007, uh, so much so they actually had covers on the mirrors so other teams couldn't copy it. So i uh, be very curious to see how things play out, uh, you know, with the aerodynamics and that windscreen. Uh, certainly I think uh, the power teams like Penske, maybe even ECR again, and I think Andretti, if Honda continues to gain ground, uh, I think those teams are going to be right at the forefront. And, of course, then the question is, well, uh, where does Gadassi fit into the puzzle? Because uh, the, with, you know, Chevrolet dominating, they have the Honda engine. Uh, they've been almost a non-factor, especially in qualifying. I mean, they almost went through the humiliation again of having one of their cars uh, fail to make the main draw in the field. He looks really quick, so they qualify in 29th uh, for the Indy 500. Matthew, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Formula One Monaco race uh, always bumps up against the Indianapolis 500. There was a driver that was not in either race, and it was disappointing to see that Alonzo, Fernando Alonso was not in the Indianapolis 500. But McLaren, I blame more than Alonzo. Um, McLaren, um, I, I, I think this was a, a – a, we, we saw one of the – world's greatest drivers and i hopefully this does not affect the indianapolis 500 war, uh 
as far as the international audience goes, but there were we did not see Fernando Alonso in Monaco or the Indianapolis 500. Let that sink in for a moment. Go ahead. Well, like I said that last week or two weeks ago and last weekend, I said it and I continue to stand by it. There was an extreme overconfidence and cockiness this McLaren team has shown uh, since Zach Brown took over. They are they think they're better than they are, and I think it has shown uh, when they struggled and they badmouthed Honda. Well, they said, "Well, it's all Honda's fault. We couldn't get it done." Well, they're not getting it done with Renault engines this year either, so. Uh, I think right now it's time maybe maybe Zach Brown takes a little bit less of a controlling role in things. Uh, you know, take, pulls his nose out of the mix a little bit, maybe sees if someone else can get in control there and maybe get things righted because ever since he has taken this program over with McLaren, their operations have looked pathetic. I mean, it's not just in Formula 1, but uh, in IndyCar, I mean, there was an overconfidence that was around them all week and all month long, and it showed. And by the time that they got to qualify, and they realized, oh no, we're in a little danger here. I don't think they knew how to react, and they panicked. And as a result, they're in, they're not in the field, and other teams got in at their expense. Well, we got to wrap up the IndyCar talk, uh, Matthew. R- real quickly uh, before we wrap it up, put a bow on it. Uh, bring us up to speed. Uh, what are your thoughts, opinions, and and what have you on IndyCar? Where we're at uh, going through the month of May, Indianapolis 500. It feels weird not talking about it, but we have to move on to other races. So IndyCar as a season, as a whole, right now, give us your hot take, sir. Well, obviously, I think you'll see ECR drop back to the normal mode. That's why, for instance, Spencer Piggott and Ed Jones are could be challenging for qualifying or the Firestone Fast 6 uh, today. Uh, I think you'll see the main players, like Ganassi will be a factor again, possibly Felix Rosenquist, if not Scott Dixon. And I think uh, the normalcy, as far as the championship picture, I think will return to where we had it with uh, guys like, you know, Pagano, uh, New Garden Rossi uh, right at the forefront, if not Scott Dixon, as he goes for a sixth title. Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend. Matthew, you going to stick around for some uh, NASCAR talk, or do you got to bail? Unfortunately, it's a busy day for me today, so I'll give way and let you and uh, Steve have a little fun uh, coming up next segment. All right, buddy, we'll talk with you soon. Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend. Uh, give him a listen and give him a follow at Matthew Embry. Uh, as well. My name is Tom Marcus L. President Tim. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. 
to the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about All right, welcome back to the balance. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official Indy car contributor to WSVT up with South Bend during this breaking down uh, and recapping the Indianapolis 500 and previewing the Detroit Duels GP up in in, in the in, in Bell Isle. I'll get it straight. But joining us now, it feels like it's been a month of Sundays uh, before we, since we've talked to this guy, our hero in NASCAR, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Fantastic. Steve is also our official uh, NASCAR contributor. Steve, I appreciate your partnership with us at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was it was fun covering that. Hopefully, we gave you guys some uh, good content. Uh, real quickly, any any takeaways from the Indianapolis 500? Um, I didn't get to watch most of it. So uh, that's right, because you were from- you were in. 
North Carolina. <laughs> yes, yes, I was. And um I started watching the beginning but then I found I had some other commitments and I didn't get back until after it was all over with. Well, hey, you know, God loves IndyCar because we thought there was going to be uh, issues with the weather. There was not issues with the weather. It was a great race, an exciting race. Simon Patijan goes off to win. It was some off of Simon. Simon says, as as we titled the show, but there was a big race in Charlotte last Sunday night. I was actually able to get home, watch the race, but give us a recap of what happened in Charlotte over the weekend last week. And I know we were in Pocono this week, but let's uh, let's talk about some NASCAR action. The Coca-Cola 600, 500, whatever it is down in Charlotte. I'm sorry. I don't have my notes up here in front of me. So, hey, it's Saturday morning. We're drinking coffee. It's all good. We don't got to get the number right. It just happened in Charlotte. Go ahead, sir. Give us a recap. What happened in Charlotte last weekend? Well, it was a very hot race. It was a long race. But it was the longest race of, that we run over our entire schedule. So um, I was very impressed about the fact of, uh, uh, um, you know, we came out of the weekend. And yeah, I think the general consensus was is that this is probably some of the best racing that we've not only seen at Charlotte in past handful or even more years but this is probably one of the best uh on track experiences in a race that many fans have seen um at these mile and a half intermediate tracks um both in the xfinity series and the cup series and you know this is something that nascar has continued to work on and you know with the with the packages that they brought both to the all-star race and to the coca-cola 600 it produced more lead lap passes um, it, it, than in recent years, and it also produced um, over 30, close to 40 uh, passes for the lead uh, under green flag conditions. Um, so, you know, the, we saw racing all around the track. We saw this field much closer than that we have in the past. Um, we 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 saw the eventual winner, Martin Truex Jr., had an issue earlier on in the race able to battle himself back up and on the final restart um, take the lead and, and win the race for his third time um, this season. Um, so, you know, overall, um, like I said, the general consensus is that we saw, uh, uh, again, one of, one of the best races that we've seen on both Charlotte and Mile and a Half in, in a long time. Um, the, the numbers were up on uh, television. So that was a good thing to see. Um, fan fans attending the track was up about 10% year over year. So um, you know, I, I think with these changes that are going forward, fans are coming back to the sport. And I think we saw it um, last Saturday and Sunday at Charlotte that you know, as NASCAR continues to tweak this package and bring this package to track to in the future, um, especially when we go go to uh, Kentucky and. Uh, a couple of weeks but in, in July, uh, I, I think we'll continue um, to see um, more action on the track. And I'm pretty excited of the fact that, you know, NASCAR is making these bold changes um, to to um, produce better racing. And I think this is just a aspect of the fact that 
you know, NASCAR as a sport and as a series is actually listening to the fans and listening to the drivers and listening to every, all the stakeholders in sport. Um, and, and if they continue to do so, then they'll continue to see more people coming back to the racetrack. They're going to continue seeing this better racing, and they're going to continue seeing ticket sales um, going up, and, and that's something that we need right now in the sport. Well, absolutely, and I, and I think both the IndyCar and NASCAR, I think we've seen a tick up, a spike up in attendance and ticket sales, and I think that both series are doing the right thing, and one of the things that I think the NASCAR is doing good is they're, they're kind of uh, mixing and matching all their series and different races, and uh, so sometimes you've got the, the, the uh uh, Monster Energies with the the uh, truck series, and then with the Xfinity, and, and, and they're moving that around. It's a little bit of a different feel, but I think that that helps uh, increase ticket sales. Let's talk about the truck truck series. Obviously, their next race is on Friday night, coming up next Friday on the seventh. Uh, but uh, they're at Texas Motor Speedway. But let's get a recap of what's going on in the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series. Okay. Well, they haven't been on track since the uh, Friday prior to the All-Star race. So they, I wonder who won you know, that race. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, you know. <laughs> oh, well, that's, the last Bush, time that's he, right. He's the only one who ever won the truck <laughs> race, right? <laughs> well, well that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the last time he can compete in the truck series sure. this season. Right. So we, we, we won't see him. Uh, any more in the Camping World Truck Series. You know, um, but on a break off the, note, no, I'm sorry. I, didn't, I don't mean to get off in the weeds, but a lot of people may not understand that rule. If you could real quickly uh, explain to us why we will not see Kyle Busch in a in a Truck Series again this year. So NASCAR has a NASCAR has a rule stating that any full time Cup Series driver that has more than five years of experience in the Cup Series. They're limited in the fact of how many races that they can run in the lower divisions, both in the Xfinity, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Truck Series. So in Kyle Busch's case, it's six, it's six races in, in the uh, uh, Gander Outdoors Truck Series. So he's raced six races this year, and that precludes him from racing anymore throughout the rest of the year. Um, now, the Xfinity Series, there's a few more than that that he can run, and he hasn't met his um, total for that yet. But the rule was put into place uh, after years of changes and after years of finding ways to keep the Cup Series drivers from coming down and, and both not only taking money away, but winning championships and uh, basically, you know, using the teams, uh, using the lower divisions as seat time for these drivers, uh, as well as a multitude of other things. This still gives drivers an opportunity to compete against some of the best in the world, but sometimes it, but it also gives them an identity of their own. And that's something that we've heard continuously over years. I mean, years ago, the old adage was, is that, you know, you get a cup series driver, you get a couple cup series drivers, and you're going to sell more tickets to a truck race or Xfinity series race. Well, that's not necessarily true anymore. Um, you know, it, the tides have turned and tides have turned to the fact that, you know, fans got to a point where they were like, well, I'm tired of seeing, and, and it's just, it just wasn't Kyle Bush. So, you know, we can't pin this thing on Kyle Bush. I mean, uh, but, you know, fans got to a point where they just said that, look, these cup drivers are coming down here. 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of drivers out here that are struggling not only for a seat, but sponsors and other, you know, just try to stay alive in the sport. And you get these massive teams like, you know, pick a pick a massive team in the Cup Series. They're sending their drivers down there. They're winning all the races. Uh, we've seen in the past where Brad Kozlowski won won an Xfinity Series championship while racing full time in the Cup Series. And you know, a lot of people feel that's unfair. Uh, you don't see that in, in any other sport where you know you got a pro basketball player or a football player going into lower divisions and, and playing both uh, at their top levels, you know, the NFL, NBA, but also winning championships in lower series divisions too. So, you know, this this is something that NASCAR went and curbed, and I think it was right for the sport that they did do this because, again, I think there's a fine balance in there where, you know, these drivers had continuously said, we want to race against some of the best drivers in the world because that's how we learn. That's sometimes how we can make ourselves better. But at the same time, you know, we, we can't be competing against them every single day, you know, for, for basically sending, you know, an all-star player down to, to run in your AAA or even D leagues. You know, so uh, real quickly going through the standings of the truck series, we'll get into the Xfinities and then on into Pocono for tomorrow. Uh, but Grant Effinger, number one, uh, Stuart F. Fireson, I got that name wrong, Brett Moffat, Ben Rose, uh, Matt Crafton, Johnny Sauter, and Austin Hill, and Todd Gillian, and Harrison Burton round out your top nine. Obviously, Ford is pretty dominating there in the top five, as well as one and uh, two and three are Chevy. But Ford seems to have found their way in the Truck Series this year. Well, the, the, they have, and last year was a struggle for them because Lower Sport converted over from Toyota, which they had been a part of Toyota for quite some time, and switched over to Ford. Now, Ford in the last couple of years has not really put a whole lot of engineering support into that series. They've concentrated all their support in the, into the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. However, with a large enough partner like Thor, um, you know, there was a lot of groundwork that, you know, they had to build up. They had to build the infrastructure out because it wasn't there in the Truck Series anymore. And there's, you know, there had been a lack of support in, in the Truck Series from the OEM manufacturer Ford. And that was a position that the company took. Uh, as a whole, as as Toyota and Chevrolet were more dominant into it, so they spent their engineering dollars somewhere else. But you know, in the in the year that it took them to build up the infrastructure, I think that they're pretty much back on even keel with where they were when, when they were being funded uh, with engineering support from Toyota. And I think that's already starting to play out this this season already with Johnny Sauter and Matt Craft and being running up there, Grant Enfanger, uh, who at some points have you know, uh, led the the um, championship standings, and you know, and I, I think overall we're we're seeing them come back to to the Thor sport that we had seen in years past, and uh, they've got some good drivers over there. They brought Johnny Sauter back, like I said, from uh, GMS Racing, where he had been for a couple of seasons, and uh, you know, Matt Crafton has uh, gone out there and competed. Um, you know, last year I think he struggled too at the same time, and I think his struggles were the fact of, you know, they were str- still trying to build that infrastructure up, and they were trying to get the engineering support, and they were trying to do all of the other things with a conversion into an OEM that hadn't placed any money in, in really any noticeable dollars into that series in quite some time. So, um, as, a, as a whole, yes, they are getting better. I mean, we've even seen drivers like, um, you know, Jesse Little, who uh, he, he drives a Ford in the series, but he only competes part-time. 
Um, we've even seen that truck where, um, you know, that truck is even more competitive this year. Whether that's a factor of, uh, of getting support from either Ford or Tour or whoever the case may be, um, we are seeing them being more competitive. But you know, again, the dominance in that in the truck series continues to be. Uh, um, you know, at least over the last couple of years at Toyota. Now, some of that is subsiding that we are seeing GMS Racing, who is becoming a powerhouse into it uh, with their affiliates, with, uh, you know, Stuart Friesen and, and their drivers that they have um, uh, off the hill, and uh, not off the hill, but uh, Brett Moffat and uh, some others. Uh, we, we are seeing Chevrolet becoming more dominant in that sport uh, or in the truck series, too. And I think uh, if, if, you know, Toyota is going to have a tough road ahead of them, uh, as we start seeing some of these more dominant teams come up and crop up and build their effort, uh, build their teams up with engineering support. Um, not that Toyota's got to worry about going anywhere, especially with Kyle Busch Motorsports and their affiliate with uh, JGR. But you know, <laughs> right. I, I, I think you're, I, I think you are going to continue to see some of these other uh, these other teams surpass uh, the Toyotas, at least in the short term. But you know, they always seem to make up for it in the long term. Talking with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, editor, chief of Speedway Digest, uh, located down in uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. We move on into Pocono Xfinity Series. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the Xfinity Series. Going to have to run a split screen today because it's IndyCar in Detroit at 1 o'clock, and it's Pocono Xfinity at 1 o'clock. I tell you what. Life is so cruel to me, uh, Steve, that I have to watch IndyCar and NASCAR at the same time. Actually, probably what will happen is I'll have the NASCAR race on TV and the radio broadcast on uh, the the IndyCar. Uh, but uh, NASCAR, Pocono, who's going to be in the honeymoon suite in Xfinity? You know, I have to use that pun because... A lot of people don't know this about Pocono, but it's a big honeymoon spot. And I tell you what, in my opinion, it is one of the most beautiful tracks as far as scenery goes on the NASCAR circuit, maybe next to Phoenix. That's a close second. But I tell you what, the mountains of Pocono is awesome to race in. Um. Well, you know, we already have a um, Tyler Reddick who won this past weekend uh, at Charlie and Xfinity Series race. Is always going already going to have to go to the back today. Um, he sustained some. He's had to. He sustained some damage to the car, in which he's they've had to make some modification to it. It is an impound race, so that means he's going to go back to the back, regardless of where he uh, qualifies today. So uh, I would look. You know, they. The, you know, Richard Childress Racing. Um, you look back over the last couple of seasons with them, and while they had Daniel Hemrick in the car last year, Daniel Hemrick never went to victory lane in that car once. Um, and, and that's something that Richard Childress Racing that we've not seen out of them in quite some time is, you know, they struggled how how much they struggled last year with Daniel Hemrick in the car. Um, you know, uh, um. And even when they were putting Austin Dillon and some of the other drivers into it, it, it was just really just absent from victory lane um, across NASCAR in general. But they brought Tyler Reddick over from Junior Motorsports. And he he started the year off. He won the first race. He just won a couple of weeks ago. And then he just won again at, at, at Charlotte. 
So um, I think he's a tough driver right now. Um, he is a defending champion from Junior Motorsports of 2018 when he ran for them. Um, I don't think he's just really tough right now. So no matter where he starts, I mean, he's going to go to the back. Um, but I, I think you're going to look for him to come to the front. Um, this is a race where, where unfortunately, we're going to see these cars spread out a lot, and and they're going to be multiple seconds apart. Um, there is good racing on the restarts, and, uh, you know, there, there's potential for trouble going into turn one. That's where we see a lot of these incidents happen at Pocono is on these restarts or, um, you know, Closer to the closer to the restarts and green flags going in turn one. There's usually typically a lot of accidents down there. Uh, we've had some serious ones over the years down there in turn one. Um, but uh, you know, hopefully this will be a clean race today. Uh, it's going to be a hot one out there in Pocono for them. But um, I, I I just think right now they're really strong. I think Rich Chili's racing is really strong right now, especially with you know, with Tyler Reddick in the car. Steve, uh, let's talk about the well, Pocono 250, obviously, in, in the mountains of Pocono. Talk with us about that track. Uh, it's kind of a unique track. It's different. There's some strategy that has to go on, but it's a fun track to, to race on. It's certainly one of the older circuits that, that, uh, that racing has been happening there. Uh, talk with us about Pocono, the racetrack, and what are the drivers looking at through the turns, and when, if you're a pit crew – uh, pit, pit, I'm sorry, crew chief um, of the uh, Xfinity Series or NASCAR Series uh, uh, this weekend at Pocono. What is your strategy? Well, Pocono is a unique track. There, uh, you know, there is no turn four there. It's a big triangle that they race out on. It's two and a half right. miles long. Turn four, what? And, Where? Where's no get, turn four? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And. Uh, you know, the track is unique in that e- each of the three corners are built with the same, uh, under the same construction, under the same, um, uh, uh, basically they're built like other tracks. For for example, um, Milwaukee Wall Stadium in New Jersey and Indianapolis Motor Speedway, they've built their three turns to mimic uh, those three tracks um, in each of the corners out there. So you get three distinct uh, um, corners that you get three different types of racing out onto it. The tunnel turn on the back uh, typically can get very hairy out there. Um, so it, drivers, you know, just because you got a good car going in turn one, you may not have a good one going in turn two. And, and the crew trees are gonna, and the teams are going to have to work all day long on these cars to keep them um, pinned to the racetrack and be able to produce the racing. Um, without getting into the wall, um, it's going to be hot. It's going to be slick, like I said, and you know that that uh, that opens up, you know, to tire failures that we've seen in the past out there. Um, these cars will slip and slide a lot of times going through the uh, tunnel turn back on turn two. They'll slip and slide, smack themselves into the wall uh, on these single car incidences. So, um, you know, there'll just be a lot of work that these cars are going to have to go through and adjust throughout the entire day out there in Pocono. All right, let's move on to uh, the uh, uh, Monster Energy race. I'm sorry. So let's kind of uh, run a little late on time today, but uh, let's t- let's talk a little bit about where we're at as far as, uh, you, you know, Martin Shrex Jr., I mean – 
good run, but hit the wall there last week. So let's just talk about some of these drivers. Let's just kind of go through these standings as we can. But real quickly, uh, what are your thoughts, Martin Truex Jr., going into uh, the um, Monster Energy Race Series? And I'm sorry, my this is what happens in modern technology. But anyway, Mark Tricks Jr. is in first place. That's where I was going, so I'm going with memory. <laughs> uh, my notes just went blank there, but so I'm, I'm, I'm back on, I'm back on board here. So that was where I was going with Martin Tricks Jr. Obviously, he hit the wall uh, last week in, in North in Charlotte there. But uh, uh, what are your thoughts about him this week in Pocono? Um, I think. Um... Well, Martin Truex Jr. last year was kind of a lame duck year. Uh, we just didn't see him as dominant as we had in the past. He's won already three times this year in the, in, in the Cup Series. Um, you know, somebody asked him this past weekend about the fact of, uh, you know, Martin Truex Jr. had traditionally been uh, a very dominant at these 1.5-mile intermediate racetracks. And even since coming over to Joe Gibbs Racing, we haven't necessarily seen that out of him. Um, you know, his response a lot it was was alluding to the fact of, you know, last year was, you know, kind of one of those years that a uh, transitional year, knowing that the team would be shutting down and then he'd be moving over to Jogos Racing. Um, and then this year, you know, a lot of it is his answer alluded to the fact of, you know, well, these aren't the same type of cars that we've run in the past with the packages and so forth. So, you know, it, it's kind of hard to compare sometimes is that a, do, a driver that has been dominant, like Martin Truex Jr. has been on these 1.5-mile racetracks. Um, just a couple of years ago at Charlotte, for example, we saw him lead a record high in the Coca-Cola 600, 396 of the 400 scheduled laps into that event. Um, you know, we didn't see him do that this past weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um and it's really hard right now to, to compare. And I think a lot of drivers are still, even this far into the season, are still trying to capture uh, what this package can do, what these cars can do, both not only in the intermediate racetracks, which, you know, where the focus has been to try and improve the racing, but try how it can improve or how these cars work and handle on some of these even larger tracks. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think Martin Truex Jr. is in any danger of anything happening to him. He's already got his three wins in. He solidified himself into the playoffs later this year. Um, you know, to some extent, he can go and just cruise on through the next couple of weeks. We're already halfway through the regular season as it is. Um, so, you know, but I, I doubt they're going to do that. I think they're just going to go 100% or even 110% throughout the next couple of weeks to try to gain some more wins. Um, I think he's, uh, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing continues to be dominant. Um, Stuart Haas Racing that uh, we've seen in the past for Ford, the Ford camp hasn't really been dominant. In fact, Kevin Harvick hasn't been the victory lane except for in a non-points-paying race about all the way back in Daytona in February. And, um, you know, Penske has been riding that train high enough for Ford that, you know, Brad Keselowski, he has three wins in the uh, in the series. So, you know, I, I think it's being spread out around. Um, we're seeing different drivers now. I'm sure we're talking about big three this year. But, you know, again, it's not necessarily the same big three as we've talked about in the past. And, yeah, sure, it's Kyle Busch and uh, Martin Truex Jr. But, you know, we, we still get some uh, – we still get some uh, different drivers out there that are going to Vector Lane. And sometimes, you know, these aren't drivers that we necessarily thought 
Uh, we're going to go to victory lane, but you know, uh, this this season is producing more first, not only first time winners in the series, but also more um, winners outside of two or three or four people than we've seen in the past. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, editor in chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, Steve, we got to wrap it up and put a bow on it before we get on to some other uh, sports talk. We've got uh, the St. Louis Blues through the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. We've got uh, the Toronto Raptors, of course, in the Warriors uh, NBA Finals. So a lot of final stuff to talk about. But what are your thoughts? Uh, uh, give us uh, your, your uh, final thoughts of this weekend in racing. I'll learn how to talk one of these days, Steve. I promise. <laughs> well, um, I say just tune in and watch Pocono. And uh, by the way, go Bruins. Go Bruins. Oh, in my heart. You cut me deep, Steve. You cut me deep, man. The Blues are my team. The Blues and the Cardinals. I, 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 I live in Indianapolis. I know that, but uh, St. Louis is my is my second adopted city, and I love that city very much. Dave, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You find us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. All right, Steve, you have yourself a good race weekend. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you, Jim. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, our official uh, NASCAR contributor. Uh, we're going to just kind of roll on into the next hour here because, you know what, when you have greatness in your midst, you've you got to go with it. Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com. Kent, how are you, sir? I'm good, but you said greatness, and I, I was interested <laughs> to see who you were going to have on. I'm looking forward to hearing that. <laughs> you, of course, sir. I appreciate you, you joining <laughs> us uh, today. Uh, you know, I, I I wanted to last week to talk with you about the Indianapolis 500. I know we didn't make the connection. So, real quickly, let's uh, get a recap of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, clearly, as our as we titled the show today, uh, it was a month of Simon Says. Uh, Simon Patajon clearly dominated. Penske dominated the month of May. But as you look back at the month of May, we always get so excited, Kent. Uh, for the Indianapolis 500 for the month of May. And then when it goes away, it's just like it's Christmas. Now all's left is all this wrapping paper. So, so after all the presents have been open, Kent, what are your thoughts about your presents from Christmas in May? You know, it, it, to me, last Sunday was all about validation and all about disappointment. You know, I think for Colton Herta, it was really, really disappointing. He came in with a terrific sure. card, did a great job all month long until the race in a gearbox sales, and that's that's Indy. When I talked to him at the Fastest Rookie Lunch, we kind of talked about how the track selects its winner, and and I really think that it does, and the way that you win that race is by making the fewest mistakes, and that's usually Penske, and so it really wasn't a surprise at all that Simon Pagano wound up winning. I felt great for him. I, I think the longer you're a part of that event, the more it means to you, and, and so I like the guys who have to toil a little bit to get there. And, and Simon Pagano has been one of those guys that felt bad for, for Rossi. You know, Rossi's a guy who I, I think because he won as a rookie, is kind of like, oh, this is easy. And now he's learning on the other end that it's not with his second back-to-back or consecutive back-to-back finish or uh, runner-up finish. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I, I know Rossi thought that Patajan was uh, blocking him there at the end. And, you know, I was listening to to the scanner in my ears uh, 
throughout the whole race. But Simon Pajon was uh, had some fuel issues. A lot of people don't know this, so he kind of fell back behind Joseph Newgarden, and Joseph Newgarden kind of pulled him along uh, for a few laps so that they could conserve on fuel. Uh, but it's the Indianapolis 500, and you, and you talk about Oreo and and, and 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 Rossi as well. I mean, a lot of people thought Oreo was kind of like. Well, you know, Oriole may not be back to the Indianapolis 500. He's trying to still make his audition tape, if you will. And so I, I don't blame anybody for doing anything that they do at the Indianapolis 500. But Alexander Rossi seemed to feel like, you know, everybody was after me. Well, if you're second place in the Indianapolis 500, everybody is after you. Yeah, and I really thought that maybe he pulled the trigger on the pass too early. You know, with five, six laps to go, he passes Pagano, and, and I thought, well, that's just going to give Pagano exactly enough time to roll by him, and it did. You know, everything's timing at Indy, and, you know, do, do you decide to hang back even though you've got the car to pass a guy, or do you go ahead and pass him and think you can hold him off, and it's all that strategy. The first 10 laps were unbelievably exciting, the last 10 laps do, and, and that's the fun of the thing. The, the middle – kind of 180 laps, that's for the zealots, that's for the guys who, who really dig the racing and really dig the cars, but the first 10, last 10, that's for the fan who shows up with a cooler of beer and the fried chicken and the sandwiches and enjoys the afternoon. I tell you what, there's nothing like the fans at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, and I like, you know, I have access to the media center. That's all comfy and everything. But on race day, I like to hang out there and turn four on the mounds there. It's close enough to the media center if it rains or if I need some water, I can dart over there. And, and so I maintain my professionalism. But I love to hang out there with the fans. And if you want to people watch, come hang out at turn four. <laughs> You'll get everything from the most extreme <laughs> to, to whatever. But it amazes me when you look across why I like turn four is because you can just kind of look across the, the straightaway. You can look back at the, at the snake pit, and you can just marvel at everything going on at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, yes, there's a race going on as well, but the fans – make this a very special place at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I know you and I have been going out there for a good number of years. And, but it just seems like every year, like every year, the first time I go from the media lot down underneath the tunnel, it's like for the first time, it's like, man, this is Indianapolis. This gives me goosebumps. What do you think makes Indianapolis so special? You know, I, I think that it is the fans. I mean, I, I love the race, and I love the drivers, and I love the month-long buildup. But when you show up on race day and you look down the front stretch and you see all those people, I don't know how many people uh, sit on the front stretch from turn one back to turn four, but the, the mass of humanity is unbelievable. You look in the snake pit, as you said, it's another whole bunch of people. You walk around, and everybody is in a really good mood, and everybody's in a great frame of mind. You can walk around kind of the coke lot. You can walk around the media lot. You can walk where the, you know, kind of the high rollers get their parking passes. You can have conversations with people about the race. It's one of those days where I think everybody's kind of a friend. And, and so, to me, it's, it's about the people. From, from my perspective and in my coverage, the haze in the barn, once the weekend starts, once we get done with sure. carb day, 
my role in covering the race is kind of over, so I get to experience I'm the same it way. as right. a fan, and I just absolutely love it. I mean, I wouldn't be anywhere else on race day. You know, we talk about the fans and the driver, and I don't know that there's any other race, and I've gone to other tracks, other races, other sporting events, and you and I both have covered uh, on, on from the media aspects. The fan um, have more access at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway than I think that they, they do anywhere. And, you know, it's it was kind of cool, just some things, that, and I wrote an article on Speedway Digest, my month of May. You can go back and read it. Uh, Suffles promotion there, but 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 nonetheless, just the, the fans in itself. And one of the, the things that stand out in in my mind uh, is so there's a guy that I've talked to every year. He sits over there uh, by by Victory Lane in 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 the uh, bleachers there every year. Same guy, same spot. And I asked him. I said, "How long have you been coming here?" He says, "Since 1954." He said, "I only missed one year when I was yeah. in service. I've been coming every year." I saw a, a little kid. In a, in a stroller, and a mom's pushing her, pushing along, and it says, my first Indy 500. That tells the story of the Indianapolis 500. And then I see uh, in, the, in, in the garages, and, and they're, they're coming off qualification day, and, you know, they're all lined up. They're coming out of Gasoline Alley, and there's a, a family that's sitting there by, you know, where they, they let uh, people come in and out of the garage that are, that are sitting there. And there's a little girl with Down syndrome. She goes, I love you, Will Power, with the sign. And Will Power came over and gave her a big kiss and a hug and got a picture. That, to me, just – those are just small stories that I saw at the in, during the month of May just witnessing with my own eyes. That's what makes the Indianapolis Motor Speedway so special. Yeah, it is such a great community, and there's that story with Tony Kanaan, and, and there are a number – uh, of fans with special needs that Tony Kanaan dotes on. Uh, a lot of those guys spend a lot of time with the Riley kids. And, and it is, it, it, instead of just an event, I, I think that it's kind of a reunion. It's kind of a homecoming. And, and those drivers are a huge part of it. The fans are a huge part of it who've been there. I talked to a guy last year who'd come to, I think, 71 in a row, and he's got his silver badges on display and a lot of pictures and stuff. And, and it's, it's just a, a wonderful homecoming where you do. You see the same people parked in the same place year after year after year. And, and it, it, it's a civic event. It's a global racing event as well as a civic uh, event. But it's, it's also a race. And, you know, it, it, it checks all those boxes in a really, really unique way. I can't think of any other event that's like it. I, I don't think that there is one. It, maybe the Kentucky Derby to an extent, but I think that's become different because of the celebrity nature of the thing. Here, the celebrities aren't the stars. It's the fans that are the stars of this thing, and I think that's really cool and unique. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and, uh, Matt Matt Damon, uh, who was on the red carpet, didn't even talk to the media, but he did talk to all the fans, so and NBC just really did a good job. I, it was fun hanging yeah. out on the Today Show set and just uh, watching them do their thing. It was raining, and then then the sun came out. Cheryl Crow was able to come out, but you know, Media Day had an opportunity to talk to Dale Jr., Danica Patrick, Mike Tirico. I mean, they don't you don't get any bigger stars than Mike Tirico in uh, in uh, in media. Like him or don't like him, he's it's like. When you hear that voice, you know it's it's like Jim Nance. You know it's something big. 
So NBC coverage first year, what are, what are your thoughts on that? What do you give them? A, I give them a, a definitely an A plus because they definitely rolled out the red carpet. Will they do that every year? I don't know, but NBC has gave a huge commitment uh, to IndyCar, and I think that's huge for IndyCar. You know, I think that they did what ESPN and ABC always should have done and didn't do, and that's kind of tear it down to the studs and build it back up every single year, and I expect that that's what they're going to do. I thought that they were superb. I thought their their Qual's coverage was great, whether it was NBCSN or NBC. Uh, I thought that the race coverage, card day coverage, was unbelievably good. I heard one complaint about the moving uh, cameras, giving people who watched on big screens kind of a vertigo sort of feeling. But uh, that's uh, that's a small quibble and, and maybe – you know, something that's inside the uh, inside kind of the brains of the people who watch. Um, but I thought that they were fantastic. They were reverent, which I think is good. I think that, like inside Indianapolis, we all love and respect the Indianapolis 500. Outside the market, not that many people pay attention in the way that they used to or the way people in mm. Indy do. But I thought that the, the NBC, the crew, as well as the talent, really understood what this means to the people who love it, and they, they broadcast that event with that level of respect. I thought it was very cool. I, I would agree. I think they were an EDA. Well, and, you know, I really enjoy Media Day. I know that's a, that's, a, that's a softball for us media people because they give us access. But, I mean, just, just kind of just hanging out and talking to them as persons, you realize, hey, we're just having a – at the end of the day, I, I, I was like, I can't believe I spent five minutes just talking about nothing to Mike Tirico. I mean, to me, that was kind of a highlight. But they aren't yeah. just normal people, but they are one of the greatest. I mean, certainly when it comes to sports broadcasting. So that tells you that what NBC thought about it. So let's move on to KidSterling.com. Kent Sterling joins us from KidSterling.com. Kent, you know I love my Cardinals. I hate the Cubs. Hate the strong word, but I reserve it for a very special team. Cubs are a number one spot, but I do have a soft spot for the story that you wrote, which is obviously made national stories, and that's about Albert Amora and the the foul ball that hit the little girl. I mean, that was an emotional time. You could tell that really was. And oh yeah, I, I just uh, I liked your story there. So talk with us a little bit about what your thoughts about that and. And what made you want to write that story? I know it's been told a lot of times, but you did a good job on, on, on playing that out on KentSterling.com. Well, Elmora hits a foul ball, line drive foul ball down the left field line, and, and really not exactly down the line, but into the crowd just beyond the, uh, the Cubs dugout. It hits a, a little girl, a four-year-old girl, and the girl was taken to the hospital as a precaution. She, uh, by all reports, is fine now. But Albert Almora kind of broke down and uh, got very emotional about it. Nobody wants to cause harm to a fan, especially a little four-year-old girl who's playing with a cotton candy and doesn't really understand baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there was a discussion uh, on social media, as there always is, people taking kind of two polar views. One, that they ought to have netting and, and surround the ballpark and protect the right. fans from really their own indifference to baseball. And then another camp says, well, you know what, it's up to the people to kind of prepare themselves for that eventuality and make sure you're paying attention to every pitch. 
And and I think that they can both coexist. I'm not like an anti-net guy. I want to see the game. I don't want to be obstructed by a net if I'm sitting at an angle where I just can't see home plate because of the density of the net. But at the same time, I don't want little girls being taken to the hospital. I, I don't want somebody to be killed like that 79-year-old woman at Dodger right. Stadium last year. Uh, I think right. that's, a, that's a horrible uh, result, obviously, for the fan, but for everybody. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if you're a parent, you bear some responsibility for your kid's safety. And, and if, you're, if you're taking a little four-year-old kid to a game, you got to make sure you're sitting on the home plate side of that kid and make sure you're right. in a position to deflect or obstruct any kind of projectile, whether it's a bat or whether it's a ball from hitting the kid, there's some personal responsibility there as well. It's not just the responsibility of the stadium and and Major League Baseball to ensure the safety of the fans. You've got to take some responsibility for yourself and for yours, especially for yours. You know, if you're there by yourself and you've got your head buried in your phone and you're tweeting all the time and you're talking and you're, you know, you got your head away from the the play, that's on you. But uh, a four-year-old can't be expected to know better and I'm not blaming the parents at all. They may have done everything correctly. But you've got to find a way to, to minimize the amount of damage that can be done to your kid, the amount of pain and the amount of harm by a batted ball. And, and so I, I don't think it's as simple as put up a net the whole way around the, the stadium or as simple as, hey, you know what? You've got to keep your head up and, and you've got to be in a ready creep position Every time a, a pitch is thrown, none of it's that easy. Sometimes just bad stuff happens. You know, a bad stuff happens. A foul ball is hit at the wrong person at the wrong time. Major League Baseball has been around since, you know, 1869. For God's sake, as a spectator sport, things happen. And at some point, life isn't about preventing all bad things from happening, but developing an understanding that bad things do happen. And, and you don't have to accommodate it. You can try to minimize the number of occurrences. But at some point, we got to stop this blame game and understand that in a situation like this, kind of all are culpable and maybe all aren't culpable both at the same time. No, absolutely. Kid Sterling from KidSterling.com joins us. And, and, you know, here's the thing, Kid. I'm not a anti-net person either. I'm all for safety. But I think part of the fun of going to the ballpark is – grabbing your glove, watching for the foul ball, the fun stories we see about the foul balls dropping in a beer and, you know, different things like right. that. If we have netting like they do in Japan uh, all the way around the stadium, I, I, I can see the argument. But to me, if they do that, that takes away from a lot of going to the ballpark, being a little kid, catching a foul ball, uh, you know, seeing a foul ball come, come over your head. There's just part of something about that that – I feel like if they netted the whole place in, well, we might as well be at a hockey game. Which, yeah, I, 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 the I agree they have with the that. same I, thing I, there too. I, I think that baseball is unique in that there really isn't kind of a membrane between the field of play and and the stands that that separates us. We're sort of a part of it in, in some kind of way, and and I think making that making going to the event less special by walling us off from all bad things that can happen. I think that that, man, is that an overreaction? Or 
you need to do what's ever necessary to make sure that they aren't carting out, you know, four or five-year-olds. If it's me, and when I had a little kid, I'd take my son Ryan to games, and I'd make sure that we sat in the bleachers outside the outfield at Wrigley Field, or we were in the upper deck. We, I didn't go to a place where I thought really bad things could happen to him. If you take your kid and, and you put that kid in the third or fourth row behind a dugout and, and he's unprotected, you know what? I, and it, that's not to blame anybody, and I'm not saying you get what you deserve, but you're putting your kid potentially in harm's way, and you need to know that before you go to a baseball game. You need to understand it, and you need to act accordingly. If you, if you buy a great seat and you sit there and you got a four-year-old and you think, eh, you know what, I'm not feeling really good about my, my chances of getting in the way of a line drive if it's coming at my kid, you better swap seats with somebody. And nobody's going to nobody's gonna moan about that. If you go to the upper deck and say, hey, I got a couple of box seats three rows up, you want them, I'd like to switch seats. Those people are going to say, yes, sir. And and off you go. But you've you've got to yeah, you've got to be reasonable about understanding your role as being responsible for protecting your child. Kent, uh, a couple more things I want to talk with you about. But before we do that, I, we're talking about the Cubs. I'm a Cardinal fan. Cubs have a strong hold on the National League Central. Uh, we're filling it at a Cardinals fan. That we're tied with the Pirates at three and a half games back. Uh, just a, I think it's a half a game back with 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 the Brewers. Uh, but Cubs got a strong hold on the National League Central. I'm hoping that something happens with the Cardinals, but at least I've got my Blues, my St. Louis Blues. I'm, St. Louis yeah. is my second city. I mean, I'm a I'm a diehard. Uh, uh, indie guy, I, I bleed, I bleed indie. But my my brother in in sports, if you will, is the city of St. Louis. I love that city. I love the sports. I love the Blues. I'm rooting for them all the way. So real real quickly, what are your thoughts on the National League Central and the Cubs? It, Cubs are, fans are like, I, I'm afraid to believe it. I'm afraid to believe it. But maybe you guys are to the point where you can believe it again. Well, they got to figure out a way to fix that bullpen. Steve Ciszek, Pedro Strope, those guys are not going to be able to anchor any kind of bullpen. you got to go out and get a closer. Uh, but they really don't have kind of that stockpile of talent to be able to go do it. The last time they needed a closer was 2016. They made the deal sending Gleyber Torres for Araldis Chapman, and that was a three-month rental, as it turned out, and it worked out. They won their first World Series since 1908. They've got the, the eight position players, I think, necessary to win the Central and go to the World Series, but they've got to fix that pitching staff. And what you got to hope is that Hamill and Lester kind of hold up. Each of their last two starts have not been really, really good and not representative of what you need from those guys if they're going to be contenders in, uh, in September. But that starting eight, both from an offensive and defensive standpoint, for, for me, that's the best defensive uh starting eight that I've ever seen in a lifetime of watching baseball. As far as St. Louis, I, I don't think that the Cardinals have the pitching. I, I don't think that the Cardinals are covered at every position. I think they've got flaws. And, and that's kind of what happens when you've got a, when you've got a team that has had great success mm. since, right. you know, almost forever. I mean, the, the last 30 years have been spectacular, or at least 20, 25 years have been spectacular yeah. for the Cardinals, so they've drafted late. They aren't a big market team, 
so they don't have as much money as the Cubs do. That media deal with Fox Sports is not nearly as valuable as what the Cubs, especially what the Cubs are going to have with the marquee network starting Mm -hmm. next year. So I think it's really hard to compete if you're the Brewers, if you're the Cardinals, the Pirates, uh, the Reds. Those are four small market teams with small market media deals. And so I, I really think that the National League Central, I, I wish baseball would do something about that and, and make, it, make it possible for small market teams to compete with the Cubs, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Angels, find a way to, to kind of even that playing field. But those teams, they're not going to allow that. I, I wish it had happened. I wish they had a hard cap like the NFL. And then you've got some equanimity. But the city of St. Louis, there are no better uh, baseball fans in the country than the fans in St. Louis. I oh, lived there for two years earlier this decade, and I loved it there in terms of sports fandom, whether it was the Blues, even the Rams fans were kind of for what the Rams were doing, and they, they <laughs> stunk on ice. You know, for what they were doing, the fans were still really committed to them. But the Cardinal fans are special. It's generational. It, it's it, To kind of bring this thing full circle, the St. Louis Cardinals are to the city of St. Louis what the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indy 500 are to Indianapolis. You know, it's a valid point. Touche. Touche. Well, get Sterling.com. A couple things. Well, first of all, since we're talking about St. Louis, is my blues going to make it happen? Or am I going to be singing the blues? <laughs> you know, if they play like they did in game two and hit like they did in game two, they dominated that game physically to the point where they were in a position to win that thing in overtime. If they do that for the rest of the series, if they're the aggressor, if they put the wood to the Bruins, I think they have a great chance. If the Bruins find a way to nut up and become as physical as the Blues were in game two, then I think this goes seven and it's a coin flip. So, uh, so Kent, uh, just to kind of put some bullet points, I wanted to talk with you about uh, the great, another good article that you had on there about uh, that the torch may not be passed from Bobby Knight uh, to Archie, but they've got the right coach. Yeah. But Romeo Langford, Romeo Romeo, did not really show up with the IU. But we talked to a long time ago before he was ever at IU. We thought that he would go to IU. Uh, you and I did. And then um, turns out he goes to IU. You tweeted out that are the Pacers interested in uh, Romeo? And then another bullet point, Toronto beats the Warriors. I'm excited to hope that goes on. I don't think so. Unfortunately, I don't think so. And we had curry, and I don't mean the the awesome Indian dish dish with curry. <laughs> but, <laughs> but curry just showed up, and uh, – in in his full fashion, and he's he, I think he's trying to get it in the head. So uh, all of those bu- bullet points. Uh, while we got you here for just a few more minutes, maybe wrap those bullet points up for us, sir. Well, work from the back or from the front back. I, I think the Warriors win this series in five, which sounds preposterous, but I've seen it happen before. In '91, the Lakers came out; they were hot. They beat the Bulls in Game One. The Bulls ran the tables the rest of the way. I think that's what's going to happen in this thing. I think the Raptors got the Warriors' attention, and the Warriors understand that they're going to have to play some defense in order to compete. And uh, I don't think that Siakam, uh, that Pascal Siakam is capable of another 32-point game where he hits 14, 17 shots. I, I think that there were a lot of criers. That's what Al McGuire used to call those shots that kind of bounce on the rim six or seven times. 
and drop through. I, I think that the Raptors hit five or six of those. I don't think that's going to happen moving forward. I really think that I, – and I don't know what Vegas has put the odds on this at, but you know what? Uh, Warriors in five I think would be an interesting bet. I, I think that if you could get some well, kind of long odds and make money, I don't think they lose a game in this thing moving forward. As far as Romeo, I disagree with you there. The guy, he, he scored 16.5 points a game with a thumb that needed to be surgically repaired. And, and so, you know, if he came back as a sophomore, I think he's an all-Big Ten first-team guy and maybe a Big Ten player of the year candidate. I think he'd be terrific. Yeah, I, you can't expect every freshman to be Zion Williamson. I think that Romeo did everything he could to be the Hoosier that people wanted him to be and that he demanded of himself to be. And so and as far as a potential NBA guy, I think if he falls to 18, the Pacers are going to grab him up in a hurry, and they're going to be really happy that he did. I think he's got the best high end of anybody who might fall outside the lottery. Bull Bull is another guy you're not really sure what you're getting who might uh, be drafted outside the lottery. But I think Romeo is kind of that 6'6 guy who can absolutely do everything on the floor. He's, he's worth since he got his uh, thumb surgery, he's worked on his left hand, which needs to be worked on. So that, I think, makes him a more dynamic player. I think he's going to be terrific. Archie Miller might be the right guy. I don't know whether he's the right guy, but you know what? I, I'm, tired of, I'm tired of the process of judging everybody against Bob Knight. You know, uh, Bob Knight was a, uh, he was a unicorn among coaches. And the, I, I think the judgment of Archie or Tom or, God forbid, Kelvin or, or, or Mike, I, I think that that's, that that's a comparison that not too many are going to be able to measure up to. I think that Archie's done a lot of good things. I think establishing Indiana as Indiana's program, right, meaning the state, where kids like Romeo and Trace Jackson Davis want to go to Indiana, I think that that's absolutely crucial. I think that if Indiana had been that from the time from and, and from 95,000 during the night years, you know what? Indiana wasn't a great state where it, it didn't turn out five-star kids every year to go play college basketball. But shortly thereafter, from about 2005 or six on, it's been terrific. And if you just did a great job recruiting Indiana, you can't tell me you wouldn't win multiple national championships. And, and so I think that Archie gets that and understands that if he recruits Indiana well, they're going to win. And recruiting Indiana well needs to be job one because if you go out and you recruit like Tom Crean did after he burned all the bridges in the state of Indiana, and, and you got to go get guys from New York and Massachusetts and Virginia and all over the place, you can't point Indiana out on a map. It's not going to be that kind of special thing where you could sort of – you're nothing up for your home state, you know, and, and I think that that's an important, an important part of the tradition of Indiana basketball, and, and I think that, that is, that's box one that needs to be checked for a coach who's going to win at Indiana, and I think Archie understands that his relationship in the state of Indiana among summer coaches, among high school coaches, really, really strong and getting stronger, and that's in direct opposition to the way Tom Crean kind of went about his business so I'm really bullish on Archie Miller and the amount of talent that he's going to be able to get to Indiana. 
and it's talent that wins college basketball games. Well, we're both Indiana fans. We're both Indiana grads. But my question, real quickly, and this we'll have to we'll have to wrap it up here because um, Tony Donahue is going to be coming on here in just a minute. Uh, but uh, and I know you know him, but uh, Archie and his brother. I mean, is is that going to hurt him? Does it? How is he going to separate himself from that scandal out in Arizona with his brother? You know, I, I, my sister does a lot of things in her life that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to have to reflect on me. You know, it, it, just because my sister up in the city of Chicago does something negative, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. You know, I, I'm not going to hold Archie accountable for Sean. And, and I'm not really entirely certain because of kind of the nefarious nature of, of some of the evidence that's been presented. I'm not sure that Sean Miller is really guilty of anything. If he is, he should be punished. And if Archie ever steps outside the lines and, and does something untoward or nefarious, then you know what? As long as, like, I haven't heard anything about Archie Miller that would lead, lead me to believe that he's crossing a line. And I know Fred Glass well as the athletic director. And I guarantee you that Fred, when he hired Archie, laid it out and said, look, this is not something that we tolerate here. We're going to build this clean. Guys are going to get their degrees. Guys are going to be academically challenged. We're not just going to throw them into, you know, nonsense classwork. And we're going to win basketball games. So you've got to, like I said, you've got to check all those boxes. Are you ready to, you know, accommodate those challenges? And, and I think that that's if, – if you're going to cheat, don't come to Indiana. Because not only are you going to get fired, but fans are going to loathe you forever. Like, nobody wants Kelvin Sampson back at Indiana. Kelvin Sampson's a hell of a basketball coach, and he's winning his ass off at Houston. But nobody wants him back because he's a cheat, and we know that he's a cheat. And, and he failed to perform at, at a level without cheating that, that brought kind of respect to Indiana. So now, because of Kelvin Sampson, We've got to say, you know what, not only are we a run-of-the-mill basketball program, but we're not averse to crossing a line. And that bothers me, and we can't have that, and that's not going to be tolerated. And, and I think that Archie, Archie absolutely knows that. Kent Sterling of KentSterling.com. Kent, uh, my favorite thing to ask everybody before I let them go, where can people find your work in the masterpieces? But I know they can find you at KentSterling.com, but where can people find your work in yep. masterpieces, sir? <laughs> Well, you can do that. And then on SoundCloud, we do two daily podcasts. Uh, every morning, every weekday morning at 8 a.m., we've got Breakfast with Ken on Facebook Live. And sure. about 15 after, quarter after 8, it's on Periscope Live. And then on SoundCloud, you've got uh, Sports and Other But Sports that drops every day by 3 o'clock. And usually we've got a great interview on there, and we have a lot of fun. Well, awesome. Uh, we miss hearing you here on the local airwaves. Maybe that will return again soon. But – Either which way, keep up the good work, buddy. I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks. Kit Sterling, KitSterling.com. Love having him on. My name is Tom Marcus El Presidente. We'll be back with Tony Donahue at 1070 Fame. Going to continue the conversation about uh, just the Indy 500 and, of course, sports. 917-889-8516. My digits. We'll be right back.
Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about it. Welcome back to The Balance, 90 minutes in the books, 90 minutes in the can. My name is Tom Marcos, El Presidente, 917-889-8516 is our digits. Thank you to Matthew Embry of WSVT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of, of Speedway Digest, uh, joining us for some NASCAR talk and just dropped off with us was Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com uh, talking with us everything about the NBA Finals to the Cubs, which I hate the Cubs, but another guy who see the best for last. I'll tell you, you, you know, you want to just build your show up to, to awesomeness. So joining us now is the, 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 the completion of an awesome show, Tony Donahue for the first time. Tony D., how are you, sir? 
You know, I too hate the Cubs, so that makes two of us. <laughs> hey, I thought you were from up in the region, so I was afraid maybe you, you too like the Cubs. But <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like the lonely White Sox fan that got, got, got to see his team win in like 05, and it's been dreadful ever hey. since. Hey, that's right. You know what? Uh, you're you're a White Sox fan, and you're not even a gangster. So there there we go. <laughs> but maybe you live that gangster life. Tony, welcome to the Balance. First time uh, on with us. We appreciate you taking some time to join us. And, and uh, I I wanted to talk with you a little bit uh, last week. I apologize we weren't able to connect about the Indianapolis 500. But hey, we could recap the Indianapolis 500. Talk with us about the month of May. I, I mean, we obviously t- uh, titled the show Simon Says this this month. But uh, Simon Patterson and Team Penske seem to dominate the month of May. But uh, walk us through. I know that you. Uh, for those that don't know, I know we're a national show. You work for the local affiliate that handles uh, IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You were out there all month. I think you had a cot out there in the media center. I'm pretty sure you did. It caught said uh, Tony D. Uh, you covered it all. So what what were your takeaways from the month of May in Indianapolis? Well, like you said, I think the first thing was Simon Pagenaud, who kind of needed a good month because he'd struggled coming in. And, and compared to Penske standards, last year didn't have the best of years, even though he finished the last 10 races inside of the top 10. But the rumor mill had kind of been circulating, okay, is Alexander Rossi next to get that ride? Um, Simon can't step it up. And uh, then he won the, the Grand Prix and then was, you know, the pole day. You weren't sure if anybody's going to be able to knock off Ed Carpenter going in. And then um, Ed, was, Ed was, what, six after Saturday and then ended up on the, but on the front row. And Simon was on the pole. And I kind of shy away from picking a pole winner in the 500 because it hadn't happened since 2009, so it had been 10 years. Um, right. But that duel to finish kind of made the race more exciting than, than I think maybe what it was because really there was only two drivers that had a chance to win on Sunday. That was Rossi and Pagano. Um And I think that red flag really set set them up for that shootout because those are the only two drivers. So at least you had the best two drivers of the day battling for the win at the end. Um, but they're going to have to do some working on some things. You know, the cars are going to look totally different next year when you have, um, you know, the new safety features where you're basically enclosed into the cockpit. It looks like a, a car that Hot Wheels created for kids, you know, right, <laughs> like a futuristic right. <laughs> car. Um, but, you know, we got – if you want to continue to grow the 500 like it has been, I thought NBC did a great job. But you've got to get back to the racing from the original DW12 chassis from 2012 to 2017 – um, because the bottom line last week was, yeah, there's a lot of passes to the field, but people want excitement up front. People want that passing up front. And the last two years, there's only been two drivers that really had a chance to win these two races. Um, because on Sunday, there was nobody else going to win except for Rossi or Pagano. I know, I know Sato uh, finished third, and, and I was a little confused on what exactly happened and how he moved himself up so quickly. Um, because it didn't seem like he was a contender at all. And when he came out of that red flag, all of a sudden he's fifth. Um, I thought it was a great month. It was exciting. Um, the weather held off on race day. We didn't really have much weather throughout uh, throughout the month. There was some cold and rain conditions on, during the Grand Prix. There was some there was some rain on one of the practice days. But but overall, a great month. Um, I thought NBC did a good job. Race day was awesome. Uh, probably the best flyover anybody's ever seen. And uh, all of a sudden, just like that, they're back at Detroit for a race later today. You know what? You mentioned that flyover. That uh, flyovers always give me goosebumps, but that really gave me the goosebumps. And, and when they circle back around, and I hang out in turn four uh, because I mean the media center is nice and all. Don't get me wrong, but I like to hang out in turn four. I, I maintain my professionalism. I'll say that professionally on the air, <laughs> but but it's fun to be yeah. out there with the fans and see them enjoy. I think that's really what makes the Indianapolis 500. It is what it is. It's the fans. 
But to see that, that flyover uh, come back around and then basically shoot up like a rocket ship right above turn four, amazing it was, an incredible uh, event. Talk about how Simon Patijan was able to come around in the shootout with, with, uh, with Alexander Rossi. Alexander Rossi thinks maybe he was cheated with, with Oreo. There was a, some situations there, but he also felt like that maybe – Simon was blocking. I don't know if you're winning, going to win the Indianapolis 500. As they say, all fair in love and war. Well, it's love and war. And if you're going to win the Indianapolis 500, you can't. You, you can't be. Excuse my French. You, you you can't. You can't be girly about it. Yeah, no. And you got to make that car as wide as possible. And they were swapping the lead back and forth in that last lap, heading into three, which is where I was sitting. Rossi made a move. And Simon just kind of hung it out a little bit wider than what he had been. So Rossi either was going to make a move on the outside or he wasn't. And Rossi kind of went for it and then didn't have it and set it, tried to set him up for the front straightaway. Um, look, Alexander Rossi wanted to win that race more than anything. I think we saw that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, to finish second and you think about the points and him running for a championship, um, that was big. And now you've got a you've got about a four-horse race for the championship between Pagano, Rossi, uh, Sato, who's won, won a race. Uh, Will Power Dixon's still up there. Um, but, yeah, you know, like you said, that last lap, um, I always go back to 06 and Marco Andretti. I think everybody brings that up as far as, okay, what do you do? And if I'm leading coming off turn four and some guy's going low, I'm going to put him so so close to that wall that there's no way that he's going to have to wreck me to get by. I mean, it's the last lap of the Indianapolis 500. So um, I thought everything seemed pretty clean. I thought – Rossi had a was was complaining about Serbia on uh, that second to last stint uh, when it, when it went green, which I, which I agreed with. Serbia kind of needed to give him some room. Uh, they were on a restart, and Serbia was was a lap down, going around for 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 the leaders on the high side trying to make moves. So, um, you know, you, you would hope they'll. I'm sure they'll get together this week. Serbia's up in Detroit and talk about it. Um, but at the end of the day. Uh, Rossi will look back and say, okay, here's what I learned from this race. The second wasn't bad. Obviously, you want to win because nobody really remembers second in the 500, but he's really set himself up for, for a points championship run. You know, I talked with Marco on Media Day, and I said, Marco, I mean, we got this mammoth thing going on honoring your grandfather. Mario is one of the greatest of all time, and, and, and I know you might get tired of this question, and I actually heard this same question asked on NBC National, so I didn't feel so bad about asking this question. I said, but do you feel like there's a certain amount of pressure put on you to be in victory lane? There hasn't been an Andretti in victory lane in decades. Uh, and the torch was passed to you. Do you feel the pressure? You And he's like, you know, I used to, but now I'm just kind of doing my thing. Indy hasn't been my friend. And that's nothing against Marco per se, but he just hasn't been able to figure it out at Indianapolis. What are your thoughts about Marco Andretti, particularly as a, as a, as a, goes to the Indianapolis 500, not necessarily as a driver, not necessarily as a team. Obviously, with Rossi, it was a good showing for Andretti, but the wrong Andretti, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's just it's, it's, it's mind-boggling because um, I, I think a couple of years ago I looked into it, and there had been about 10 different drivers who had won for Andretti Autosport since Marco last won in 2010. And you think about that, that equipment's got to be the same, and Rossi's been – not not dominant, but Rossi's been a contender in almost every racetrack they've gone to. Um, you know, the street circuits he seems to be really good at. He's won Long Beach back-to-back years. He won a Pocono last year. Um, so, you know, it's not the equipment. And then, and then it's like, okay, well, you kind of have to look at the mirror with Marco and say, okay, then, then what is it? And you look at the way that 
Andretti Autosport was in May, and Ryan Hunter Ray struggled for speed. Connor Daly was was quick and finished in the top ten. Rossi was a contender. Hunter Ray ended up finishing eighth, but it was a very quiet eighth. Zach Leach wasn't um, wasn't a contender. But it's it's just crazy with Marco Andretti that year in and year out he's in a great car with one of the top tier teams, and I think he had did he have one podium maybe last year in one of the Detroit races where he ended up third. He's just not contending in in, in IndyCar and the Indianapolis 500 needs him to contend because people know that name and it resonates it's a household name because everybody knows the Andretti name, um, and it, and it would benefit the sport immensely if Marco could be a contender at the 500 and for a championship. But he just hasn't done that, not only you know, in the last five or six years, it's been throughout his entire career. And you talk about being snake bitten at the 500, um, that, that used to be a place where he was a threat. In the last three or four years, he simply hasn't been. Um, so I'm not sure what it is in Marco. I thought, you know what, he'll get married, maybe he'll, he'll have a, a child or two, and it'll kind of settle him down. But um, he just hasn't been able to contend, and it's mind-boggling knowing that he's at the same supposedly the same car, same equipment as Connor Daly, who was fast and finished in the top 10, Rossi, who was fast and almost won the race, and Rossi, who was a contender week in and week out at every racetrack they go to. Well, I saw a tweet, and, and uh, you know, social media, it is what it is, and fans will say what they say, but they said, uh, well, maybe Marco's adopted. Maybe he's not a real Andretti, but, <laughs> you, you know, social media, you got to take it, uh, take it uh, with a grain, uh, grain of salt. Uh, we're talking with Tony Donahue. Follow him at, uh, at TonyD1070, our local affiliate here at Indianapolis. I know we're a national show, but let's play the local card for a minute. The Indiana Pacers is offseason. I, I was just talking with Kent Sterling about Romeo, but it, it, what are your thoughts about the Pacers? And then let's talk about the Raptors and the Warriors. I'm rooting for the Raptors like nobody's business, Tony. I'm telling you, I do not want to see the Warriors with another win. Go ahead. Well, if you got to look at the Warriors. You got to look at the Raptors. Excuse me, how they built their their lineup, and, and they made moves. If you think over the last 365 days, whether it was the drafts or trades or free agent signings, four teams got better in the East when LeBron left, and the Pacers simply didn't with the moves that they made. Uh, Doug McDermott hasn't worked out. Tyreek Evans, we obviously know, did not work out. The Bucks made moves. Brook Lopez played well. They made moves to get Miritich. George Hill was playing big minutes for him. Uh, the Sixers made moves to get Tobias Harris in there. The Raptors obviously got Kawhi Leonard, then made that trade on the deadline for Marcus Saul. Um, the Raptors have zero lottery picks that are playing for a team that is competing for the NBA Finals right now. So there is hope for the Pacers, you know, kind of picking 17th, 18th in that area like they have been the last couple of years. But the bottom line is the Pacers haven't drafted well, and they haven't been able to be a free agent destination. And the only way you change that is you have to hit something in the draft. You have to keep Victor Oladipo healthy, and you have to spend money. And if that means going into a luxury cap, that's what you're going to have to do to win. And if you don't want to do that, then you're just showing to your franchise and your fan base that, you know what, we're willing to be a mediocre middle-of-the-road team when we make it to the playoffs, and maybe we win a series and we're satisfied with that. But in a fan base where you look across the street at the Colts, you're going to be contending for a Super Bowl this year and made the playoffs last year and had a quick turnaround. People are going to start looking at the Pacers and say, okay, the time's ticking here because who are we going to draft at 18 that's really going to be able to make a difference they want? It's probably going to be tough. So you have to try to make as many draft, many trades as you can. And I think everybody's up for grabs like outside of Victor Oladipo. I'd hate to see Miles Turner go. I'd hate to see Demonis Sabonis go. But if those are guys that you can get assets back for and make your team better, I think you got to take a rocket's approach 
the team of the Rockets said last week, pretty much everybody, maybe not James Harden, but pretty much everybody is on the table. And who do you sign back? Because Darren Collison doesn't need to be coming back. Corey Joseph probably doesn't need to be coming back. Bojan is number one who you need to re-sign. And, but you can't overpay for him. The guy's 30 years old. So you're looking at three years, $17 million a year. Um, it's probably the max that you want to do for Bojan. And then that leaves you with about $25, 26000000 million to be able to go out and sign a big player. And I just – I love to be – I love to be – you know, look forward to it and have uh, unrealistic expectations and hope that they can get a Clay Thompson or a Kimball Walker. But just based on what the Pacers have done in the past and how this is not a destination city, it's going to be a Kenton Baysmore or a Terrence Ross or a Harrison Barnes. Uh, I can just see the press conference now. This is a guy that we think can compliment Vic. He's still got some tread on the tires, and he and he's going to be able to he's going to be able to come in and uh, you know do do what he can. And you know you just need somebody that is a killer that that is equal to, if not better, than what Victor Oladipo is. And I know that those guys don't grow on trees, but you got to make runs at guys like Clay Thompson, at Kimball Walker, guys that you can come in here that can get their own shots. Because if you look in the playoffs when they need a clutch basket, because you know, yeah, they got swept to Boston, but they were in all four of those games at, at a deep point in the third or fourth quarter. They just didn't have anybody that could take over. Bojan is not a takeover type of guy. Tyreek Evans was on whatever drug he was on, so that wasn't going to work. And you, you had nobody else that could really take over a game, and you need that. And you need that if Victor's playing, and you need that if Victor's not playing, because we don't know when Victor's going to be back. It could be October, could be December, um, but you're going to have to spend some money and make runs at some of these big-name guys. We're talking with Tony Donahue, Tony D of 1070 The Fan. Tony, uh, congratulations on moving to mornings from the afternoons. Uh, I know you've got to be relieved from getting away from uh, old Johnny and JV. No, I like him. You guys had a great team up. You guys did a good job. So good job. But how, is it harder to get up in the morning now? you got to go to bed earlier. you got to retrain your body. <laughs> it's, it's certainly retraining the body. It's uh I've always had a mental thing, you know. I try to try to get that six hours of sleep every night, but it's hard when they don't start those NBA finals till till eight forty-five, and all the commercials they get in the games are over till twelve thirty. I remember the days when I when I worked radio at, at different stations. I think most of us that worked at radio have been at, at various different stations. Uh, but I did overnights, I did middays, I did afternoons. But mornings always just seem to be the worst because <laughs> yeah. at least overnight yeah. nobody's yeah. listening. Doesn't matter. Afternoons you can you can kind of roll in, but in the mornings it's like you know everybody's listening, and it's like uh, your job depends on everything that that you do. But you're doing you're doing a, a, a great job. Real quickly, I, 1070 The Fan is also the uh, flagship station for the Indianapolis Colts. You mentioned the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, but uh, Kelly's back as a quarterback. Wait, no, he's not. And no, it's not Chip Kelly, but it's his nephew. And no, we don't want you in our house, but get out of here. Crazy sort of events that have happened over the last 48 hours uh, with uh, uh, Colts uh, backup to the backup, Chad Kelly. Uh, it, typically, we don't talk about the backup to the backup, but Hey, when you make news, let's talk about the backup to the backup. WTF, uh, Tony? Yeah, no. Uh, it's kind of like, okay, what are we doing here? And obviously, if you're the Colts, you know, it was more of a, the good old boy network probably doing a favor for a favor and it was owed a favor. Um, and you look at that backup to the backup quarterback position. Jacoby Brissett is a, is a valuable trade asset. And sure. there may not be a team that wants him right now or in the summer, but if he has a good preseason, you get three or four weeks into the season and there's an injury 
or a team like the Dolphins or the Bengals or the Cardinals who have rookie quarterbacks or second-year quarterbacks that, that can't that are proven that they can't get the job done. All of a sudden, the Colts are in the driver's seat to maybe grab a second or third round pick for Jacoby. Um, so, but you then you got to look at okay, who's going to be that backup? But I think you're going to see like a revolving door throughout the summer and then training camp of guys that are coming in and out and being waived and picked up off practice squads. Um, but yeah, that situation was was a little was a little worrisome, uh, no doubt. Now that OTAs are underway this week. Uh, so let's uh, play the national cards uh, so to appeal to all of our audiences. We have two national finals going on. Go Blues, buddy. I'm a, I, I, I am a proud St. Louis fan. Indianapolis is my city, but my brother's city is, Indiana, is St. Louis, so I'm going for the Blues. And as I said earlier, go Warriors. So if you want to recap and give us a, a, a thought on the national look uh, on the Warriors and the, the, the Raptors and the Blues and the Bruins, what say you, sir? Well, I think Indianapolis, the biggest, the biggest hockey talk this week was the fact that Game 1 wasn't aired on NBC here locally in the Indianapolis 500 victory banquet was. So that was a big back and forth. Oh, that was a social media disaster here locally. It was yeah. like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, come on, it's Indy. I didn't watch the banquet. Don't get me wrong. I, nothing against it. I think yeah. it's fine. But I don't watch the Oscars. I don't watch the Academy Awards either. So for that matter, <laughs> I put that all in the same category. We're the only market that, that airs the banquet. Uh, NBC Sports certainly did not air the banquet that I know of, but WTHR pays a lot of money, and when you look at the national yep. ratings, they did all right. So, <laughs> yeah, local yeah, ratings. I'm right sorry, there, I said national ratings, but yeah. Well, you look at you look at you know the Stanley Cup. Are we all just sick of Boston winning everything? So certainly, when it comes to that, well, you got to go. We're sick of Boston blues. and Golden State. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Um, I was impressed with the Raptors. Not only did they maintain that lead throughout the entire game, they never really gave Golden State any kind of hope. I know the Warriors got it there early in the fourth quarter within four points, but they had an answer. And when Fred Van Vliet at the buzzer threw in that 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 prayer of a you know hit the backboard, spun around twice, and went in from three, I thought, okay, it's the Raptors' night. They're going to win their first ever. Uh, NBA Finals game. They get the best. They have the best record in the NBA when it comes to the finals. Oh, they're one and zero. They're the best winning percentage. But we'll see if they can they can continue it tomorrow. Um, because I think the Warriors are going to come out pounding. And I don't know. It it just depends on what Kevin Durant does. Uh, I thought DeMarcus Cousins kind of hurt them more than he helped the other night. And you know when Pascal Siakam's going for 32 points and Marcus Saul's knocking down his shots and and Kyle Lowry's kind of was playing great defense against Steph Curry. Um, if the Raptors play like that, they'll win every game. I don't think they're going to play like that. Uh, I would expect Steph to come out tomorrow and go for about 50 points. Tony, let's wrap it up and put a bowl, and I appreciate you jumping on with us, man. It's, it's an honor to have you on and uh, as a first-timer rookie. So i got to ask you, man, I, I saw your tweet, and I really just – I need to know, man. What's, are you okay with Willy Wonka? I mean, what's – what happened there, man? No, no, no. <laughs> See, it, it's 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 Willy Wonka, and it's with the boss too. Um, mm. Willy Wonka, I just think, is incredibly creepy, and you know, this that weird '70s vibe that it had just really creeped me out. But the with the boss is even creepier because where I grew up in Northwest Indiana. Um, I played little league in a town called Chesterton, and they had the Wizard of Oz fest every year, and they brought out the actual Munchkins. And I've never been a fan of monkeys, so that movie <laughs> scares the daylights out of me. And then Wizard of, I mean Wizard of Oz, it, it's just how how do 
and then Willy Wonka is like, how do people not think that that's creepy when, oh, it's just, oh, like, oh, Gene Wilder just, just gives you the heebie-jeebies when you watch that movie. So if I could go without watching Wizard of Oz and Willy Wonka the rest of my life, I would be A-OK with that. Uh, to bring everybody else in the loop, those that aren't trolling Tony, like I don't, but to, I do follow him on Twitter, and his question was, what was the creepiest childhood movie, movie or something like that, and yours was Willy Wonka, so I had to get the story behind the story on, on the Willy, uh, Willy Wonka. Tony, I appreciate you joining. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces? You're, you're going to hand out to Adam Sandler tomorrow? You know, I thought about that. Um, it depends on when the IndyCar race gets over, because IndyCar has stuck to like 320, um, and I'm a little I'm a little worried about Adam Sandler. You know, I like his stuff in the 90s. His Netflix movies haven't been the funniest, and I just I'm a little hesitant because uh, I'm not sure that he still has his fastball. But uh, so I don't know about that. Uh, but we'll be having some fun, and my Twitter's at Tony yeah. 107 All right, buddy, I appreciate you joining us. You're welcome anytime, sir. Hey, man, thank you. You guys, have, you have a great weekend. Thank you, Tony. Tony Donahue, 1070 The Fan Local, uh, joins us here playing the local card with us. And, and I'll tell you what, Tony's a good guy, man. Catch him on 1070 The Fan. Uh, you can go online, really, 1070 The Fan, and, and check it out. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. You know, we've been doing a recap of the Indy 500, and I'll tell you what, it has been an awesome month of May, but we've got to get things going. The Detroit GP coming up. Here today at one o'clock. Of course, you've got the NASCAR race. I appreciate Matthew Embry from WSBT joining us. Steve Walsh from Speedway Digest. Kip Sterling from KipSterling.com, and Tony Donahue joined us as well. Remember, don't drink and drive it in cool. We'll see you next Saturday right here on the Balance Radio Network. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.